0: Howdy how, this is we and you're listening to Ball Might Lie. Howdy how, you to another episode of Ball Might Lie, where the ball might lie, but we won't. I'm Usui, and joining me today is Eric. Yes, sir. So, today we're going to discuss U.S. President. Now, you must be wondering why on a basketball podcast are we talking about American presidents? What do they have to do with each other? Well, honestly, they have nothing to do with each other. But both Eric and I are huge. U.S. presidential history nerds, but we're also huge basketball nerds. So we thought, how fun would it be to make comparisons of NBA legends and U.S. presidents? Now, as a disclaimer, we do recognize that the impacts that U.S. presidents have had over the years far exceeds the impacts of any athlete, that's for sure. However, we feel that it's important to share our knowledge of U.S. presidential history for those who may not be so knowledgeable about it. And also for those who are knowledgeable about presidential history, this would be a low barrier of entry into learning about NBA history by finding good comparisons that we think really capture the essence of the NBA legends. So, Eric, why don't you give me your first comparison?
1: I mean, honestly, this was (laughs) this was like Soft serve, hit it out the park, easy as apple pie. I say George Washington and Bill Russell.
0: God damn it, you copied me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it feels like the most obvious comparison that we could possibly yep. find. And with that, I was just thinking, because I I, I was like, should I go with the MVPs of the first 10 years before him? But I was thinking the better parallel for those guys would be like the constitutional framers. But Bill Russell set the framework for the league as we know it. The league was groundbound before Bill Russell came in. He was incredibly athletic. He was quick. So the athleticism with players that you see today, that's the DNA of Bill Russell. Uh, playing above the rim, DNA of Bill Russell. You hadn't seen it before him. Previous to Bill Russell, bigs like George Mikan, they were just slow galutes who basically played defense by just being a lot bigger than everyone around them bill russell was the first guy to actually have finesse with his athleticism so yeah easy easy
0: pick (laughs) the reason why this george washington bill russell comparison is so great is because like eric said bill russell was the first in many ways right he was the first true star of the NBA. He paved the way toward normalizing black excellence and success. And he was truly a paragon of more than an athlete. George Washington as the first president really had to set a standard and set a precedent for those who came after him. And you see that in the influence of Bill Russell's more than an athlete, where he was very involved with civil rights to guys like Oscar Robertson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, LeBron James. If you think about it, Back when Washington was the president, there was no term limit. A president could be president for life if he wanted. And at the time, it it was revolutionary. Now we take it for granted that after either four years or if they serve two terms, eight years, a president steps down and the next guy comes in. Up until that point in the world, no one's ever seen somebody with that level of power willingly let go of it. And so that revolutionized the world. For Washington to step down like that was huge. And it also goes to say a lot about the characteristics that both George Washington and Bill Russell shared. Regardless of their accomplishments, neither Washington nor Bill Russell really gloat about it. They were reserved, they were respectful, but they did have an ego. They knew how great they were and would only speak out if someone disrespected them or their accomplishment.
1: Hey Oswe, yeah. you know a great story about Bill Russell's ego? Yeah. So check this out. When he was with the Celtics, you know, they're they're winning championships, and by this time, Wilt Chamberlain is in the league. And as an individual force, Wilt Chamberlain is setting every individual statistical record you can possibly imagine. So Bill Russell, his contract negotiations are up, and he goes to his team owner and he says Whatever you do with my contract, make sure I'm making $100 more than (laughs) Wilt Chamberlain. (laughs) He didn't care what the number was, as long as he was making more than Wilt. Who, let me add, this guy was a good friend of his. I mean, he dominated him in a team aspect, but these guys were actually buddies. But... His ego made
0: it so that he had to be paid more than will. Yep. And if we're talking about egos with Washington, in his first term as president, he was basically unopposed. People really didn't criticize him. And and he was the only unanimously voted president ever. But in his second term, As time goes by, that honeymoon phase wears out, and people started to get a little uneasy, so he started getting criticized, and Washington did not like that, because for the first time, he was no longer the darling. And he made it known that he was not happy with that. But I have to be honest with you, both are slightly overrated. Ooh,
1: (laughs) we're coming out hot!
0: (laughs) Our fans in Boston and any Washington stance might be a little agitated with me right now, but let me explain. Washington was seen as this great general, but if you actually look at the Revolutionary War, we didn't win many skirmishes, like face-to-face skirmishes with the British, but what Washington was really capable of doing was running. He knew how to retreat really well. And so while we didn't win many battles, what we did win was the war of attrition because we're on the home front. So by dragging out the war, We're facing guys who they're thousands of miles away from home, so they're getting tired. While he was great for being our commander and and leading us, as an actual military strategist, he is a bit overrated. Now, let me talk about Bill Russell. Let's not forget that despite his 11 championships, he played in in an era with only 10 teams with fewer playoff rounds. And they had so few teams that the Celtics even got playoff by. So basically, we're talking about a guy who had shorter post and regular seasons, so less wear and tear. And compared to everybody else, his team was stacked. But even still, the Lakers took him to seven games in three separate finals. So while they are great and they probably, I mean, Washington obviously belongs on the Mount Rushmore. And if you extend Mount Rushmore of basketball to five, Bill Russell is absolutely there, in my opinion. They were a little overrated,
1: you know. So I just want my 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 dead grandfather to know I didn't say any of this about Bill Russell. This was <laughs> this was Oswe. This was this was all him. Put a pox on this guy, not me. But I do agree with Washington. I do think he's slightly overrated uh, by historians relative to other presidents. Bill Russell on the other hand is difficult for me because I think with sports in general and particularly a sport like basketball that's a team sport but it's dominated by individual players it's really difficult to gauge cross era comparisons True So True. to me Looking statistically at it, I would say Wilt Chamberlain was the b- greatest player of his era. But I've heard enough people who were around, I wasn't around, you weren't either, <laughs> I've heard enough people say that Bill Russell was the defining player of that generation for me to kind of just back off. I mean, it's a little confusing. The guy never shot over 47% from the floor as a big, in an era <laughs> with only two other players seven-footers and Walt Bellamy and Wilt Chamberlain. But for whatever it is, they say he's the dominant player of that generation. I do know, having seen old tapes of him, uh, as far as defensively, he was well ahead of his time. I, I think a current comp form would be someone like, think of Dwight Howard in his prime defensively when he was with the Magic. Mm. That was Bill Russell on a defensive end. He was, he was really, really incredible.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Although, you know, your point about sports being difficult to compare across eras is very applicable to presidents too, because oftentimes you see successful presidents. It's always the question of, is it the man or woman, hopefully one day? Is it the man or is it the times? And a historian I really like once said, it's actually a melding of both. That being said, I think when you talk about Bill Russell and Washington, they were pioneers. They were the father of their respective thing, you know, father of the NBA star and the father of the country. And both were well-respected by their peers and their contemporaries and have legacies that'll live on forever, regardless of the nitty gritty that we might pick at. Facts.
1: The first is always remembered. Yep. Okay, Oswy. Who you got for number two?
0: All right. This is a this is an easy one. Whether or not you agree with it, I don't know. I, I just felt like it was this was too easy. Lincoln and okay. Jordan. All right. Yep. 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 Come All on, right. man.
1: Are we are we writing the same list?
0: <laughs> Yo, I'm 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 betting that we're gonna have some different ones. But okay. Lincoln and Jordan. And here's my reason why. And I think I think this is the easiest one for people to guess because. Both were so great that it's almost blasphemy to argue that they weren't the greatest ever. AC and I always talk about, how do you define the greatest ever? And he believes that it's who had the greatest peak greatness of anyone in their field versus who had the greatest longevity of greatness. And Lincoln and Jordan are the embodiment of greatest peak greatness.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: And if you think about it, part of that greatness is having these iconic moments and quotes that are etched into the legacies of their game. And you can't talk about their respective fields. You can't talk about the U.S. presidency. You can't talk about basketball without mentioning the Gettysburg Address, Emancipation Proclamation, a House Divided Speech, or... The shot over Elo, the last shot, the flu game, the shrug. It's just, they're so iconic. They're so legendary. They're so larger than life that they've almost become something larger than just a president or just a basketball player. They've become almost like a god of of their respective area.
1: Yeah, definitely facts. And I mean, just to take your analogy further, <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> I'm a black guy, so <laughs> I have a certain affinity for Lincoln, just saying. But to take it further, they have some really interesting parallels. So like Lincoln is known for his team of rivals. Jordan was one of the major players on the 1992 Dream Team, which was a team of rivals that teamed up To Mm. beat the world after they lost the Olympics in the 88 Olympics. Yep. I mean, of course, Lincoln's was infinitely more important with the Civil War, but parallels a little. The Gettysburg Address or the Emancipation Proclamation can be the shot against ELO or the flu game and the push off against Byron Russell in the 98 finals. Lincoln has these key moments, like you were saying, that are, like Jordan, these definitive moments that you remember him for, even if you don't know a lot about Lincoln's policies. And because he was a wartime president, he doesn't have an agenda yep. outside of the war like most presidents do. But yep. you know him for these signature things. Yep. So you know the signature speech. You know... The signature proclamation that he wrote. You know Jordan for signature shots. You mentioned the infamous shrug in the 92 finals after scoring 35 points in the first half off of like six threes against Clyde Drexler, who was being touted as the next heir apparent of sorts. Easy, easy comparison. Lincoln is Jordan.
0: Yeah, for sure, and let's not forget they're both Illinois legends. The land of Illinois is literally called Ah, the land of Lincoln, right? So I didn't even think about that. I didn't even catch that one. I don't know how I forgot that one. That's the most
1: obvious one. It's
0: literally called the land of Lincoln. What are you doing? Look man, I went to school in Illinois for a year. I'll tell you one thing. No no disrespect to Illinois, but outside of Chicago there's like nothing there. It's just flat land. So Chicago is all Illinois is about, man.
1: Hey, they they're on a great lake, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's that's all I can muster up for Illinois. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that's Illinois. It's 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 Lincoln, it's Jordan, it's Chicago. And yeah, that's all I could think of.
1: I mean, and political cronyism and corruption, but that's a story (laughs) for another time.
0: That's a different podcast. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) But one thing to also say about Lincoln and Jordan is they made the game available to more people than ever before. So what's the game in Lincoln's sense? Citizenship. He freed the slaves. He made it possible for a large number of the population to be able to live as citizens and not property and therefore participate participate in the game, the game of life, the political game, the American dream. He made that available to them. And then there's Jordan, who he made basketball truly a global sport. And because of his influence, it reached more people than ever before. So you can definitely say that both of them made the game available to more people than ever before.
1: I agree with everything you say.
0: All right, Eric, what do you got? What's your next comp?
1: So my next comp was FDR and LeBron.
0: God damn it! We're three for three. Oh see, we're
1: <laughs> okay. This this is like a hive mind at this point.
0: Yo, know, I just wanna I just wanna put it out there. We had like little discussions joking about random presidents, but well, we didn't share any of our picks together. This is this is live reactions right now. Which is
1: odd because you went out of your way for me not to share my picks with you, which I tried to do two separate times. Tell me what you got. Okay, so this is my logic. Like FDR leading America out of the Great Depression, LeBron led the league out of post-Jordan's rating low. You know the little period post-Jordan's first retirement, and then he came back for two seasons, and his last retirement back in 03 with the Wizards. For the, the first couple of years, interest in the league died dramatically. Some of that is because one of the dominant teams was the Spurs, which had a star who wasn't particularly, how would I put this? He wasn't particularly camera ready or a person who showed a lot of personality. I mean, sorry, Tim Duncan, you might have a lot of personality and private, but you come across Boy. like a, an, autom- an automatron <laughs> on TV. So you had that period, you had a team in the East, the Pistons, who were a slug it out team low scoring games. No uh, stars
0: winning a, a, a finals. Chauncey
1: Billups, your best player on your yeah. team. So that was the league for about four years. That was the Great Depression.
0: The Great Depression of basketball. That, there
1: you go. That was the Great Depression of basketball. I love it. I love it. The ascension of LeBron James led to uh, a renewed focus on the game becoming not just an American sport, an international game. Now, that precedent was already put forth by the Jordan era of players. But LeBron and subsequently his era of players magnified that... Tenfold. Yep. So that would be my first comparison. My other comparison would be just like FDR added on to the Allied army to help win World War II against the axis of evil. Yep. Braun beat the 73 win Woo! Golden State Warriors in 2016.
0: Yo, wait, wait, hold up. Say it again. Say it again.
1: Say it again. Say it again. LeBron it again. LeBron Ramon James mm-hmm. beat the seventy-three win Golden State Warriors in 2016. Yes, sir. Back basketball's axis of evil. Now, the next year, they added Kevin Durant, which would have been as if Germany, Japan, and Italy somehow got the Soviet Union to go over to their side (laughs) in World War II or right directly after World War II. Yeah. We digress. We're going to take our year of winning. That one win means more than any of the subsequent losses. And I don't care what anyone has to say about it.
0: Oh, that's brilliant, man. That's freaking brilliant. I looked at it in a different way. You actually applied FDR's crises to a basketball sense. Let me break it down in in a different way now, all right? If you think about FDR and LeBron, you could make a legitimate argument that they're the greatest to do their job. FDR could legitimately be argued as the greatest president. Ever, some people still make that case. Same with LeBron over Jordan. Some people make that case. Shannon Sharp, look, you and I are huge LeBron fans, so I'm not gonna explicitly say it, but sometimes I wonder, right?
1: Well, I look at it like this, I, and I think being a LeBron fan, you're living two people, so you know you can't really make an argument yet for him being the greatest but you could definitely make an argument for him being the best so he's the best player i've ever seen and i saw jordan yep. as well jordan is the greatest player i've ever seen
0: i bring you back to that argument that my brother always makes peak greatness versus greatness over a long time longevity is the best friend of fdr and and lebron for those of you who don't know fdr was the longest serving president he served for 12 years over four terms now george Washington. Set a precedent where after two terms, a president would step down. But it was never part of the Constitution that there was a term limit of two terms. So when FDR ran for his third, he was actually a shock to some people. But the reason why FDR ran was because we were in the middle of World War II and we needed his leadership to get us through that. And that's also why he ran for a fourth time. Now, subsequently, the 22nd Amendment was ratified, which limits the president's term to two terms only. There are some exceptions to that two-term limit, but we might bring that up later depending on what presidents are discussed. However, if you think about it, over the span of their careers, both of them revolutionized their game in ways never seen before and have forever changed and inspired those who came after it. And if you think about FDR, FDR, he had so many sweeping legislations that changed the country for the better. Think about it, from labor, he had the WPA, the Works Progress Administration, which had people People working on different public works. They had the Civilian Conservation Corps, which further established a bunch of parks and recreation centers. Then from banking, he had Social Security Act. So that's why we have Social Security now. FDIC, banks are insured. The Tennessee Valley Authority, that's what gave power to areas that didn't have power before. So if you think about LeBron, in a given final series, he can lead both teams in every statistical category. I think by the time he ends his career, he'll be top 10 in just about every that, right, Eric? Yeah, all the like major counting stats, yeah, he's going to yeah. be in the top 10. So when you think about it, their wide breadth of brilliance in so many different areas that impacted the game. But let's not also forget, they also fought for a better world, as you mentioned with World War II. On the flip side, when you think about LeBron, he's been someone who's... Being one of the most outspoken athletes when it comes to civil rights, whether it's voting rights, police brutality, unpaid athletes in the NCAA, he provides opportunities for at-risk children and their families. His organization pays for them to go to college and for the parents to get job services and high school diplomas, things like that. But that being said, while they both did so many great things, they weren't perfect, and they made some real mistakes in their time.
1: Yeah, I see. I'm all about the slander life, so this is where the fun starts, because to piggyback on to where you said they both made mistakes, to me, the two biggest mistakes of LeBron on his resume and FDR, for FDR. Internment? It would be, well, internment is one, but the first one before internment, he opened up the federal government with executive order 8802 to have non-discriminatory hiring except he didn't actually end the segregation in the federal government and he didn't desegregate the military
0: so let me take it one step further you mentioned the military so after world war ii there was this thing called the gi bill which essentially when those soldiers came home from war the government would pay for them to go to college well while it increased african-american attendance in college by 2%. By and large, most African-American veterans actually did not get access to that. Now, we also mentioned internment. Eric, do you want to quickly tell the audience about that?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Japanese internment was a policy adopted during World War II that essentially took Japanese descendants, so people who were Japanese-Americans, they took them out of their homes on the West Coast and put them in internment camps, usually in places like Utah. For the duration of World War II under the logic, which, of course, is bigoted and racist as hell, that these people had divided loyalties because they had Japanese ancestry and they couldn't be counted on to be loyal to America. Because at some point, they had an ancestor that was Japanese. Yeah, really, really messed up policy. To parallel, though, the failure of FDR with the most glaring two failures of LeBron to me, that would be his loss to the Celtics in the Eastern Conference semifinals in 2010, where he left the Cavaliers and... He, I mean, I still don't exactly know what happened. I, there's speculation. There's the Delonte West, Gloria no, no, no. James rumors. Yeah, I, I'm just repeating what Stephen A. Smith <laughs> oh, said. I'm God. not. I'm not giving this any legs,
0: guys. For those of you who don't know, the Delonte West Gloria James thing. Well, Delonte West was LeBron's teammate at the time, and he allegedly is it. Allegedly, or did it actually happen?
1: I think it's safe to say allegedly. (laughs)
0: Uh, Allegedly, he slept with LeBron's mom while they were both on the same team. So, please continue. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. So, that series where, inexplicably, LeBron just didn't seem like himself— He won the MVP that year. It was was his second straight MVP. And for a couple of games, he just seemed out of it. Even the game six, and I still remember this. In game six, he had like 27 points, 19 rebounds, and like eight assists. And they lost that game and they they lost the series. But he had the most sleepwalking 27-19 I had ever seen in my (laughs) life where it seemed as if he wasn't actually engaged in the game. But then when you looked at the final stat line, it's like, wait, he clearly had to be. But if you were watching, you wouldn't have thought he was engaged in the game. And then, of course, the next year, he had the finals loss against the Dallas Mavericks after having a gauntlet in the playoffs where he beat the Celtics in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Then he beat the Bulls with the MVP Derrick Rose in the Eastern Conference finals where he locked down Derrick Rose. And Derrick Rose made one shot And crunch time and 20 shots, LeBron was guarding him. And then somehow after winning against these two teams that in many circles were the favorites, the Bulls were definitely seen as the consensus favorite in in that series against the 2011 Heat, he loses to this Mavericks team. That wasn't even the best iteration of the Mavericks team. It was a good team led by Dirk Nowitzki, who is probably a little underrated how he's viewed historically. But it wasn't a great team. LeBron had games where he just, I mean, frankly, he disappeared. He looked scared. Yeah, yeah. Okay, scared is actually the best way to describe it. He looked scared at points. He was being guarded in the zone by um what's the little guy who who was their point guard Barea? at the time Berea JJ <laughs> Berea was guarding LeBron on the zone and it was just like wait LeBron just <laughs> you can either you can just post him up Or you could shoot over them, but you don't need to pass the ball. It it was just inexplicable stuff. And I would say that's the one thing that would be the difference between the Abe Lincoln and Jordan and the LeBron and FDR. There are those obvious warts. Yep, that's fair. That you can't miss.
0: That's fair. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay,
1: so now we did three. Who's your next guy?
0: See, I could go down my list, but I want to jump a little bit. I would throw. Well, that you're not really expecting here, all right? Okay, okay. Okay.
1: I like surprises.
0: Yeah. Jimmy Carter and Pistol Pete. Whoa! Yeah!
1: I I wasn't even thinking about a a Jimmy Carter comparison. See, But Pete Maravich? I wasn't expecting that at all.
0: Well, let me tell you something, all right? We're not just trying to go with the you know the usual suspects here. We're like we, we we're trying to flex that we know something about presidents, all right? Okay, okay, okay. Right? All right. So here's here's why I chose Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter and Pistol Pete were both ahead of their time. Jimmy Carter, he he brokered the peace treaty between Israel and Egypt with the Camp David Accords, and this was in the nineteen seventies, and those peace accords became a precedent for peace policy in the Middle East for US ever since. He established the Department of Education, increased college tuition grants for needy students, created a Department of Energy. Get this, in the 70s, he initiated tax incentives for solar energy and home insulation and warned about the dangers of depending on foreign oil. Not just that, he put solar panels on the White House. If you think about Pistol P, quick and flashy, which paved the way for bird and magic with those crazy passes. His handles were amazing. He was a showman who wanted to entertain anyone who watched him play, but the result was that his teammates had no idea the ball was coming from, so it hit them in the face or in the back because they just they've never seen anyone pass the ball like that. And he was such a great shooter when no one else could shoot like him. Both of them had tireless work ethics. You know, Carter meticulously mulled over different details, and to the point where he'd even edit grammar on memos that he'd be given. Instead of reading it, he'd be like, oh, there's a, gra- a grammatical error here, there's a grammatical error there. Pistol Pete, he's famous for all these crazy basketball drills that he came up with, like improving finger strength. Remember, when he played, it was the 70s, so nobody thought about basketball in this way trying to perfect their game like we do now. We have Masterclass now. We have YouTube now. All these drills now that you can do. Pistol Pete was way ahead of it. But the problem with both of these guys is that, one, they were unlucky in the era they served because America wasn't ready for Carter's progressive agenda. The the economy had hyperinflation. Interest rates were double digits. And then, of course, there was the Iran hostage crisis where for 444 days, there were... American citizens who were held hostage in Iran. As for Pistol Pete, he played for a shitty New Orleans jazz team who couldn't win much and barely made the playoffs. And he had a hard time competing against teams with real star power in the 70s, like the Knicks or the lakers but perhaps the biggest reason why people don't remember carter or pistol pete is they were overshadowed by the more famous people of their time carter was basically in between nixon and reagan so you have the incredibly infamous and then the absolutely beloved at the time the two absolutely iconic guys and then you have this one-term president who was smack dab in the middle, which is why people don't really think about him like that. And then when you think about Pistol Pete, he, he played in an era with dominant big men like Kareem and Wilt and guys like Walt Clyde Frazier and Earl of the Pearl Monroe with the Knicks. So it's not surprising that people don't remember him in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would have never thought to compare those two, but <laughs> I think that's a great comparison. It's funny that you mentioned that Carter is right before Reagan, because that leads me to my favorite pastime, being the pessimist that I am, is <laughs> slander time. And my next comparison is going to be Ronald Reagan Ooh. and Kobe Bryant. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm uh, a little confused, but okay. Oh, trust me, I, I do not mean this. As a compliment to neither parties, so <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> neither party. <laughs> think of everything you think about Ronald Reagan. Okay. Think of everything you think about Kobe Bryant. Okay. They are they are great. Yeah. For what people think they're great for, particularly Reagan messaging, the great communicator, the great communicator. Yep. That's what he was oh, called. As far as being a communicator and messaging and shaping. Perceptions. Reagan was an all-time great. As far as actual policy, not so good. I mean, of course, we know the Iran-Contra affair. Yep. We know his various dealings in Central America, whether it was civil unrest in El Salvador or dealing with paramilitary groups in Honduras and Panama. Uh, We know about him destabilizing stable governments in places like Grenada. His foreign policy was absolute trash. And if you want to talk about the economic precedents that he set forth, while he was president, particularly his first term, he happened to be facing an economic boom that shaped this perception that economically Reagan was this kind of savant. Reaganomics, right? Yes. Reaganomics, which is really or supply side economics, which is really fascinating, considering he had this boom because of Carter, who somehow he was able to bludgeon in their general election on economic issues, which doesn't even make any sense because the country was turning around economically. But his Reaganomics or supply-side economics led to this weird economic philosophy that has increased the wealth disparity in this country fivefold over the subsequent 40 years since Reagan was first
0: elected. To add salt to that wound, the Iran hostage crisis that Carter dealt with, he was working on freeing those hostages literally up until the minute Reagan was inaugurated. And so that night, the night of his inauguration, Reagan was able to say the the hostages are free. So some people believe that it was because of Reagan that that happened. But no, it was actually Carter who did it.
1: Yeah, it was Carter. If you're going to concentrate on one foreign policy gaffe with Reagan, you'll be concentrating forever because he has so many so of them many. to talk about now. Of course, he was president when there was a thawing of tensions between the Soviet Union and the United States. But I'm not exactly sure that was Reagan more than that was the natural progression of events and the Soviet Union in the 1980s. They were just on a downturn and they were going to fall sooner or later.
0: So where does Kobe fit in all this? I'm really curious. Oh,
1: yeah. (laughs) So Kobe, it's interesting with death of Kobe, Kobe was a great player. Yeah. Le- let me just add that. Yep. Kobe is a top 12 player of all time. He's not on my Mount Rushmore of the four greatest players of all time. Definitely not. But he's definitely in the class right after that. So the slander is going to be slander, but it's not going to be crazy. But I've heard people <laughs> when LeBron and Jordan are mentioned, They'll be like, what about
0: Kobe? Oh, God, They always <laughs> insert him. And Kobe used to insert himself Well, in Kobe it. used to do it himself. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you remember the infamous incident on Twitter when they were comparing LeBron and Jordan and Kobe somehow out of nowhere saying, there's Jordan 6, LeBron's 3, and my 5. But this is the journey. I'm like, what? No one was talking about you, Kobe Bean. <laughs> but that's Kobe Bean. And that's his acolytes as well. They insert Kobe in conversations that he doesn't belong. And much like Reagan, Kobe's greatness is very singular and very restricted. It's not nearly what people who are adherents or fans think it is. Kobe wasn't particularly efficient compared to a lot of all-time great uber scores. Kobe, as far as individual accomplishments, he played long, but Kobe wasn't looked at even in his time as being the unilateral consensus best player in the league. When Kobe played at any given time, Shaq was the best player, and most dominant player. And then after that, Tim Duncan was the best player. Like I can't think of a time where Kobe was actually for years, the consensus best player. Now I know a lot of Kobe fans will try to tell you that he was, but that's revisionist thinking. It didn't happen in real time.
0: I hope you know you just incur the wrath
1: of every Kobe fan. Oh yeah, bring bring this on. <laughs> like I I mean I I usually shy away from from the from the battle, but this one no 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 no. They need to know that things aren't how they think they are. They are delusional as a fan base much how some conservatives think of reagan historically in a delusional manner yep the other thing about kobe that i've always found interesting there's this logic that a great player if put on a team with other substandard players he increases their ability to at least be competitive with great teams well, I mean, no one in their right mind would think that the stretch after Shaq left to Miami, those Lakers teams were particularly competitive until Pau Gasol came. And the one time they were competitive, which was against the Phoenix Suns in a series where they were up 3-1, Kobe somehow gave up a 3-1 lead. <laughs> A 3-1 lead. (laughs) There's nothing like that on Jordan's resume. There's nothing like that on LeBron's resume. When those guys get up 3-1, you might as well pack your bags for Cancun because the series is over. Not Kobe Bean. (laughs) Kobe fans are an interesting bunch like Ronald Reagan fans are an interesting bunch. And I'll just leave it at that.
0: All right, Eric. I can't talk to anybody about presidents if I'm not going to mention Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Bear it is. Wait, you tell me you have him too? Oh, of course, absolutely.
1: I have him as a comp with Kareem. What? What about you? <laughs> uh, okay, I actually
0: have him as Magic Johnson. Huh? Yeah, that's not one I would have thought about, but I'm curious to hear how you got to it. All right, so when you think about Teddy Roosevelt and Magic Johnson, both of them have giant smiles with larger than life personalities that are the embodiment of youth and vigor and charisma. And they really expanded the celebrity of their respective role.
1: interesting. So when you say vigor, I feel like vigor takes on two <laughs> different meanings with magic and teddy. <laughs> It was <laughs> I, like, I, and I'm not going to expound on that, but do continue.
0: <laughs> well, Teddy really pioneered the idea of a celebrity president. He's the cowboy, frontiersman, war hero, optimistic outdoorsman. He was the first president who went out to the people to speak to them. First guy to ride in a car or in a plane and be photographed doing it. He met with the press when he was getting shaved. He took foreign dignitaries hiking, and he was the first president to make his family a centerpiece of American pop culture. Now, think about Magic Johnson. He was Mr. Hollywood. Big celebrity, flashy passes, flashy outfits, tons of women, extravagant parties, elaborate vacations here and there. They just had this larger-than-life persona, and if you saw their smile, it was infectious. It just made you want to smile, made you happy to see them.
1: Hey, Oswe. Oh, yeah. This is some cool information. Okay. So my apartment is on Kenilworth in D.C., right? All right. So you just mentioned that Teddy Roosevelt made his family the centerpiece of American life. The first family that we actually knew, we knew his wife, we knew his daughter. His daughter was a socialite at the time. Yep. I live across from some apartments that in the early 1900s, The whole area was a giant racetrack for horses. Hmm. And there's this really famous picture of Teddy Roosevelt's daughter at the racetrack in like 1919. She has like a big ass bonnet hat. And, you know, she has on her Sunday best looking fly for this horse race (laughs) 100 years ago. And as we speak, that's like a thousand feet away from me. Damn. Wow. That's
0: that's pretty cool. Yeah. True story. Hmm. but continue so teddy and magic were more than just these larger than life personas they were also the right men for the right time teddy roosevelt became president after serving as vice president and the president at the time william mckinley was assassinated so he rose to the power and this was like around 1900 or so and so it was the turn of the century it was after the boom of the industrial revolution And he came in and he prevented all those titans of industry from taking over and driving the country into the dirt at the expense of the people. He fought for reforms to improve working conditions and protect American consumers. He was actually the first environmentalist. Through his executive orders, he protected millions of acres of land, which ultimately became national parks. Grand Canyon, you like going there? You can thank Teddy Roosevelt for that. And he was the president who made America a global power with his policy of speak softly and carry a big stick. He paraded his great white fleet around the world, which is this fleet of white ships of the latest technology at the time, basically showed the world America's here to play and we are a real power in this world. And you have to remember at the time, after the Industrial Revolution, nations were, were growing in unprecedented rates. So... Teddy Roosevelt, when he says carry a big sick, he wasn't joking.
1: Nah, the man, the man was a, he was a beast of a man. Also, I, I, I'm convinced if we did a poll or like um, a bracket of which presidents will win in a fist fight, I'm fairly certain the last two presidents will be Abe Lincoln because he was 6'5", <laughs> and, and Teddy Roosevelt
0: because, he, he was a boxer, too. Yeah,
1: and he was a boxer. Yeah.
0: True story. Yeah. I mean, LeBron always quotes this famous quote that Teddy Roosevelt said when he went to Paris about the men in the arena. So now let's talk about Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson came into the league in an era that lacked real star power once Russell and Wilt retired, and he was riddled with drug addiction. And, and the NBA was just, honestly, it was on the brink of failure. And when Magic came in, he came in with his his personality, his flashy passes, his exceptional play, and of course, his rivalry with Bird, which uplifted the NBA completely and really popularized it around the world. And you can make an argument that Magic Johnson became the first true global superstar, I mean, I, my dad was telling me when when he was in Thailand studying his masters that he heard about Magic Johnson. So, so okay. I
1: know you and AC, you all love basketball. Yeah, but you all get this from your pops.
0: When he came here in the eighties, he was you would follow basketball. He loves sports. He's a he's a diehard okay. Knicks fan too. So.
1: Oh, God, he passed that on to AC. Yeah, yeah. Poor guy.
0: Yeah. A, AC got that generation
1: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs>
0: and, and so the last point I want to make about the Teddy and Magic comparison is that both of them left earlier than perhaps they could have. Because after he served out the rest of McKinley's term and he served out one of his own terms, He stepped down so that his handpicked successor, William Howard Taft, could run and eventually win the presidency. But at the time, there was no term limit, so he could have, in theory, run for another term or two or however many he wanted, but he chose not to. And in the case of Magic Johnson, he left the game early because of his diagnosis of HIV. So who knows what what they could have accomplished. I do want to add that he got his handpicked successor in Taft,
1: but homie, after four years of Taft, came back around and ran again for the Republican nomination, lost that nomination, and then invented the Bull Moose Party.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: I mean, he did run again. So the term limits thing stopped him for a bit, but he ended up ignoring it anyway.
0: And actually, if you think about it, Teddy Roosevelt leaving the Republican Party actually has to do with why the Democratic Party now has the progressive. Once Teddy split from the Republican Party, that progressive arm of the Republican Party was gone forever. True story.
1: By the way, your comparison is
0: so good.
1: I'm like on the fly scratching my comparison to Green. Oh shit. well, finish your question. We're going to pull a mulligan, and we're going to ignore my Kareem comparison, guys. We're going with Teddy Roosevelt as Magic Johnson. It, it works. Sightsealed delivered. Yep, it works. It works. It works. Okay. On that note, I wanted to go with someone else that I thought we really needed to mention. So I have a JFK comparison. JFK? Okay. I have a JFK comparison.
0: I do, too. Let's hear yours.
1: JFK as Reggie Miller.
0: Oh, yo, I thought about that. I thought about I was tempted. I was tempted, but I held back. So,
1: if you thought about it, I feel that you thought about it for the similar sentiment that I came to.
0: They're overrated.
1: There you go. Yep. that's yep. my man. Mm. They're, o- they're 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 o- over. They're so overrated. Both both guys are overrated. So, of course, JFK, <laughs> he has this in the American annals of history. He has this reputation. As this iconic president that was the stalwart of civil rights. Well, nope. He didn't exactly pass much civil rights legislation. And in his two years where he actually served as president, his his most important things that he did was a disastrous Bay of Pigs. Yep. Disastrous. Utterly. And... And putting ground troops in the war in Indochina that France was getting their butts kicked (laughs) by what became Vietnam. So he put the ground troops in Vietnam, which was a disastrous war that ended up leading to 58,000 Americans dead and anywhere between 900,000 and
0: 3.8 million Vietnamese. Although, to be fair... The escalation of Vietnam is not on JFK, though you make a fair argument that we weren't in that area to begin with, if not for JFK.
1: Now, you are correct. You are correct. The escalation definitely happened more under LBJ. And previous to JFK, even under the Truman administration, we were giving aid to France's fight against the Viet Cong. So that was already happening. But the act of putting American boots on Vietnamese soil, that was our man JFK, which set the precedent for us having ground forces there, which anyone who knows a bit about world history, that was disastrous, 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 disastrous. Now, to me, Reggie Miller is a perfect call because this is a man who's looked at as this elite all-time player. The pros are Reggie Miller set the standard for the spacing in the NBA that was expanded by a guy like Stephen Curry. So my best comp for Reggie Miller would be like Clay Thompson before Clay Thompson, but if Clay Thompson never played any defense. <laughs> and all, all the moments that you remember Reggie Miller for, like I mean we know the what was it 8 points and yeah. a, a, a like a ridiculous amount of seconds like Oh seconds or something crazy. Like that. Yeah 12 13 seconds he didn't even win that series They lost <laughs> They lost but but we 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 talk about this as legacy building for Reggie Miller Why Reggie Miller made an All NBA team 3 times In a career that spanned from, if I'm not mistaken, 87 to 2004, (laughs) he he made three All-NBA teams. Every single time he made the All-NBA team, he was a third-team player. Guess who made more All-NBA teams and more second teams than Reggie Miller? Mitch Richmond. Played the same exact position as him. But we don't talk about Mitch Richmond as much as we talk about Reggie Miller. But in real time people who evaluated players and the NBA looked at Mitch Richmond as a better player in the off-guard position. Much how, historically, we know, well, you and I probably think so, that LBJ who came after him, though people now don't think of LBJ as being the greater of the two presidents, I would say as far as His legislative legacy? I mean, there's no comparison.
0: Well, let's not jump ahead of ourselves because I do have a JFK comp and I do have an LBJ comp, so let's backtrack for a second. Reggie Miller was a guy that I really strongly considered for the JFK pick. I also thought about guys like Paul Pierce, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, but I'm going to incur the wrath of my fellow Sixers fans. Because the person I chose for JFK is the guy who got me... Please don't say Dr. J. No, the guy who got me into the Sixers, Alan Iverson. No! Look, I <laughs> love Alan Iverson, all right? The reason I'm a Sixers fan is because I have such a man crush on Alan Iverson. But let's be honest. Both JFK and Iverson are incredibly iconic, yet overrated in their respective fields. Both are famous for their partying. Both had real off-court issues. Well, basically had one moment of greatness. So I guess in, in JFK's case, it's the Cuban Missile Crisis. And then also his famous, we choose to go to the moon. For Iverson, it's going to the finals, the step over Tyron Lue, winning one from the otherwise undefeated Kobe Shaq Lakers. Both of them inspired those who followed after them. After all, civil rights, going to the moon, inspired by JFK, Iverson. Inspired so many people after him. If you look at fashion today, it kind of is derivative of Iverson's uh, example. And then really, because they were so iconic, they live in history as legends. But let's be honest, man. If you really break down the stats, it's kind of underwhelming. Iverson never got higher than 50% field goal percentage from two point or 40% from three. He was incredibly inefficient. He was a bit of a ball hog. And, and not just that, Both JFK and Iverson, their legacies were cut short. JFK because he was unfortunately assassinated and Iverson because he refused to be a bench player and had so many off-court issues and went overseas. But it just feels like because they're iconic, people remember them as something more than they were. So the Sixers fan in me died a little bit when I came up with this pick, but we're trying to be unbiased here with this,
1: my guy. There's some kid on some court somewhere in America on a hard court outside who can dribble but can't particularly shoot, and that kid just died a little inside.
0: <laughs> well, you mentioned Lyndon B. Johnson, and I thought about Lyndon B. Johnson. I really wanted to actually pick Kareem for Lyndon B. Johnson, but I actually I picked Kevin Durant and CP3. I-, I I cheated here. I got two here.
1: you got old two for one deal yeah yeah
0: so it's kind of like kevin durant is the bad side of lbj and cp3 is the good side of it let's talk about lyndon B. johnson and kevin durant comparison both are extremely polarizing some people absolutely love them or absolutely hate them both had massive egos with incredibly thin skin both viewed any (laughs) criticism as personal attacks Both had an insatiable desire for attention, affection, and approval. Both would love putting themselves on a pedestal in any way possible. Both got into unnecessary battles they had no business of being in. Vietnam was escalated greatly by LBJ, and it was very much an ego trip for him. And literally anything on social media for Kevin Durant, that's his Vietnam War, He always loves to escalate it there. Perhaps the most telling thing is both (laughs) despise being under the shadow of and second in command to another who is considered greater than them. For Lyndon B. Johnson, it's JFK, though both of us would agree Lyndon B. Johnson was in fact greater than JFK. And for Kevin Durant, it's another LBJ, LeBron James, though it's obvious LeBron James is greater.
1: Kevin Durant is LeBron's biggest hater, and LeBron don't even know it.
0: You think LeBron doesn't know it? Get out of here. You know it's it, it, All the shade I, is there, man. I mean, man.
1: LeBron, hate, LeBron hangs with the guys, so I mean, either he doesn't know it or he's playing
0: next-level chess stuff that I don't even understand. But LeBron knows he's great. He doesn't need to prove anything to him, you know?
1: Yeah, that's true. It's it's kind of like a kind of like a little brother relationship yeah, where yeah, yeah, yeah. your little brother is jealous of you, and you know he is. But it's like it's my little brother, so I'm better than him, and I'm bigger than him, and stronger than him. But I'll just ignore it.
0: Eric Lebron James's existence is a constant sun on Kevin Durant. He just suns Kevin Durant <laughs> just by being who he is. Now let me go to the CP three comp. CP three. And Lyndon B. Johnson were both champions of civil rights. Now, obviously, I want to note that as the civil rights president, Lyndon B. Johnson's contributions to civil rights far exceeds just about anybody that we can discuss here besides, obviously, Lincoln. Lyndon B. Johnson is the one who signed the Voting Rights Act. If you compare CP3 to Lyndon B. Johnson, CP3 has been in the league for a long time just as Lyndon B. Johnson was in the government for decades. And over that time, CP3 was president as the NBPA, the National Basketball Players Association, which is the Players Union, and has been an active champion for players' rights. He's an avid supporter of HBCUs. He's extremely outspoken about racial and social injustice. In the 2014 ESPYs, as many of you might remember, He went on stage with Wade and LeBron and Melo talking about police brutality, and he's one of the greatest ever to do it in his own right. He's not the greatest point guard ever, but he's in that conversation of one of the very best point guards, potentially, what, top five ever, would you argue?
1: I like it. Yeah, no, no, no. He's, uh, so let's see, there's Magic, Big O, Steph Curry. Yeah, he's in the top five. He's in the top five. Isaiah,
0: don't forget about Zeke, man. What's wrong with you?
1: I mean, I don't, like, four, Zeke is up there with, yeah, Zeke, Zeke is there. Wait, you
0: think he's in the next?
1: No, 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 so for me, Zeke is over Chris Paul because Zeke has two rings. True, true. And Zeke was the undisputed best player on two dominant championship teams in a time where teams weren't being led to prominence by guys who were six feet or shorter. That wasn't, that wasn't a thing, so... Zeke set the precedent for guys like Chris Paul. So no, Chris Paul is not better than Zeke, but I'm, I was just trying to think. But I think Chris Paul was like five or six. So yeah, right around that area. You're right.
0: Okay. So there was no NBA player who really captured the essence of Lyndon B. Johnson because he was a truly great president, but was also very weird and eccentric.
1: Weird and eccentric. Are doing some heavy lifting <laughs> when you say that because you and I spoke earlier. Weird and eccentric. You are being very diplomatic by saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Funny story because I, I'm doing this. You know when people just name their connections. Okay, you're name dropping now. All right, let's hear it. Yeah, I'm name dropping. I'm, I'm doing a little. Humble brand. Okay, okay. But I had the opportunity growing up. I went to DC public schools
0: mm-hmm.
1: all the way up into eighth grade. Okay, and I did this program when I was in middle school called the Colon Powell Leadership Club. And I got this mentor who sponsored me going to school, private school for high school. It was a Catholic school. Archbishop Carroll shout out. This lady, Lucinda Robb, who paid for my high schooling. She's the granddaughter of Lyndon B. Johnson with Lady Bird Johnson. Shut up. And yeah, true story. Her dad was a U.S. senator and U.S. governor from the state of Virginia, Chuck Robb, but her grandfather is Lyndon B. Johnson. So she has like a wealth of stories about the guy. And I I remember being like a teenager and I'm I'm learning, I'm taking AP U.S. government at the time and I'm learning about the great society and his war on poverty and I'm talking about him and I'm like yeah you know I'm giving all his positive attributes and she just she gets quiet and she looks at me and she says uh did you come across any of the more colorful stories about <laughs> him and I was like what do you mean colorful she never told me I didn't find out too until I, till I was an adult that colorful meant stories that we can't tell you <laughs> Because they're past PG thirteen. Oh but they're, they're. just know Lyndon Johnson was off the chain.
0: Yeah. L- Lyndon Johnson was a big fan of his Johnson, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> that was
1: that was very delicately put. Yes. Very sophisticated, sir. Yes. I couldn't have said it better myself.
0: <laughs> although although I have to say we're talking about Lyndon B. Johnson. I would have expected you to start with that kind of flex that you had there. Like, goddamn, you, your mentor was LBJ's granddaughter? Damn, that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it
1: is crazy. So I don't know how she told me, but this was pre-Wikipedia. Like, Wikipedia, people didn't start using till like, 2005. So this must have been like a 2003 conversation. And I remember putting all together and like, wait, you're telling me you're related to Lyndon B. Johnson? And she was like, oh, yeah, that's my grandfather. And me being like, I'm like around royalty, the descendant of the emperor of the universe or something. (laughs) Yeah, it was was really honestly disconcerting.
0: (laughs) Eric, what do you got? What's your next comp? What I'm going
1: to do for the sake of time, because again, guys... I'm about the slander life. This is what I am. We saw uh, the Batman movie where Bane says, oh, the totality Batman. You adopted to it. I was born in it. (laughs) So I'm born into the cynicism. So I got to get three quick comps out. And I'm not even going to give long explanation, but comp one that I have to mention. Andrew Jackson and Bob Pettit. And they're being compared to each other on the racist nexus. (laughs) So (laughs) Andrew Jackson (laughs) was a president that was a racist amongst racists in his times. Like, you know, they say a man's man. He was a racist racist. Known for the Trail of Tears. Like that's his thing that he's known for. The Trail of Tears. Like anyone who doesn't know what it is, it's the forced removal of the U.S.'s indigenous population from the Southeast Americas to the West, particularly the Oklahoma Territory, where a ton of them died on the track there. Yep. That- thousands. Synopsis works. Yeah, thousands. Like, it, it was, it was bad. Bob Pettit, great player for his time. I don't think his game translates to today, but great player for his time. Two-time MVP. Bob Pettit. Story that sticks with me the most is when he played for St. Louis, they had this black player. His name was Cleo. It was 1962. I'm trying to remember his last name. But Cleo was a guard that they drafted in the first round. And him, Cliff Hagen, and Clyde Lovelett, they essentially went to management. And let me add, all of these three guys were Southern racist. <laughs> they, not saying all people are racist, but it, it was a, a dominant.
0: These particular guys were. Yeah,
1: these particular guys were. Yep. And this was early 60s. They went to management to try to depress his number of shot attempts because they wanted more shots, though they were winning at the time with him taking more shots. And they ended up getting their coach fired because the coach refused. And they ended up getting the black player also blackballed from the league. He'd never played in the league after 1962. So you guys, Andrew Jackson, particularly the best player on the team, Bob Pettit. That's my comp. (laughs) The other two comps (laughs) was James Buchanan as, and this is an ode to AC, Mario Hard Zonja. Yes, yeah. I can't pronounce his last name. That guy, AC, despises his game, or at least used to despise his game. He doesn't play in the league anymore. He was trash. Uh, his comp for me would be James Buchanan, a guy who seemingly didn't have any natural gifts, preceded Abraham Lincoln, one of, if not our greatest president, one of our greatest presidents. And he sucked. He just sucked. He let the South secede. He did nothing, literally nothing, to stymie the tide of secessionist talk. He knew what was happening, and naturally, Lincoln had to deal with James Buchanan's mess. And the last guy, <laughs> the last guy, is also kind of something I used to talk about with AC in the past. Donald Trump's comparison. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> God. Donald Trump's comparison is one Christian Iyengar. What? Christian Iyengar was, in 2009, the Cleveland Cavaliers' first-round draft pick. Now, you might be asking, that's obscure. Why would I name Christian Iyengar? Well, Christian Iyengar was their first-round draft pick. He was from the Congo. He played in Europe. But he didn't play in Europe's first league. He didn't even play in their second league. He played in Europe's third league. Literally a draft pick out of nowhere. Much like Donald Trump was a president who had no service reputation, had never been in elected office, had never been in anyone's cabinet, (laughs) and somehow he was elected to the highest position in, in the land. And to further parallel it, for whatever reason... Christian Iyenga, even though the Cavs knew they needed to put forth their best roster possible to keep LeBron and an upcoming free agency year on the team, they had this no-name Europe third league player drafted as their first round pick. So, of course, LeBron left.
0: Before I get to my final pick, which is the guy I want to close out with, I do want to mention, since we previously mentioned Kareem, I want to mention my comp for him. I chose Dwight D. Eisenhower. And the reason for this, so Dwight D. Eisenhower, for those of you who don't know, was just like Kareem, greatly respected and considered among the cream of the crop. Both of them were known for their moral leadership, keen intelligence, their discipline, and their devotion to their faith. Eisenhower is a very devout Christian. Kareem is a very devout Muslim. Both are famous for fighting against injustice. Eisenhower was the supreme allied commander in Europe in World War II and led the Allies to victory against the Nazis. He sent army troops into Little Rock, Arkansas to desegregate the school so that young African-American children could go to school with their white counterparts. Despite all the protests of the folks living in Little Rock that time, But he believed that segregation was wrong. And mind you, this was in the end of the 50s, just before the civil rights movement really got into full swing. Kareem, on the other hand, was a very avid proponent of the civil rights movement. He participated in the Cleveland summit with Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown. And to this day is a huge advocate for civil rights. When you look at Kareem and Ike, Eisenhower, by the way, is often referred to as Ike. When you look at Kareem and Ike, both left nearly untouchable legacies. Ike established the highway system. NASA established a strong science education in schools. Kareem, he had the Skyhook, six-time NBA champion. Actually, it's eight if you count his two as a coach. Two-time finals MVP, 19-time All-Star. Hey,
1: we're not not adding uh, assistant coaches to
0: this. All right, all right, fine, fine, I'll give you that, all right? (laughs) I mean, look, three-time NCAA champion. So these guys have these accomplishments that are so great that it's unlikely that anyone will ever match it. Because who's going to ever establish NASA again or the entire highway system? I mean, it's possible to do such a large sweeping infrastructure bill that rivals it, but it's unlikely. Similarly, not forget that Kareem's scoring record for years was seen as something that would never be broken. And the skyhook, his signature move, is the single most unguardable move ever because you can't block that shot. He's too tall. He just shoots right over anyone.
1: Has anyone ever blocked the skyhook? I've never seen No, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think you could. I think it might be almost humanly impossible. Amen. Yep. Yep. So we've heard a lot about Kareem and Ike as a comparison, and we're getting on a home stretch. Who is your last comparison, Oswee? Because I'm I'm waiting with bated breath.
0: Come on, man. You know who this is. I, I talk about this guy all the time. He's one of my favorite presidents ever.
1: Ah, <sighs> Ulysses S. Grant. Yes,
0: sir. Why, 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 why are you saying it like that, man? <laughs> Look, let me add, you might
1: be the only person that I've ever met that has this type of affinity for Grant. I've never seen it. It's crazy. It's almost as if we're back in 1870, right when he's running, and he's in his early years, fresh off of his win in the Civil War. You're this big Grant fan. Now, tell us more, because I've heard you separately mention Grant and go on like some type of spiel for him a couple of times, but I I really want to hear this comparison.
0: I'm glad you had your little soliloquy there because (laughs) Ulysses S. Grant represents a person who, in their time, was so much greater than what we remember them as because of haters slandering and dragging their name in the mud for years to the point where you might mention Grant or this person and say, wait, really? That, that guy was that good? My comparison for Ulysses S. Grant is Isaiah Thomas. Ooh, I can see it. Think about it like this. Both were among the greatest to ever do it, but droves of hater diminished their legacy. In fact, Teddy Roosevelt once said that the three greatest American heroes are Washington, Lincoln, and Grant. And you know what? He's goddamn right. Ulysses S. Grant is one <laughs> of the greatest military minds America has ever produced. At the time of the Civil War, he was commanding more troops in more different armies spread out throughout the country than anyone was controlling anywhere in the world. It was over a million men he was coordinating. He employed genius tactics, including moving an army of over 100,000 troops across a 2,000 foot wide river without General Robert E. Lee, the quote unquote great Confederate general, he didn't even notice but Ulysses S. Grant was that great of tactician. Hey,
1: honestly, wouldn't that be an argument for Robert E. Lee not being a genius general?
0: Yo, bro, I'll get there. I'm just Yo, saying. hold up, hold up. I'll get there, all right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Prior to Lincoln picking Grant as the, the general of all of his armies, the Union kept losing battle after battle after battle. He completely outclassed Robert E. Lee and successfully made the Confederacy surrender. He was a champion of civil rights As president, he created the Justice Department and told the Attorney General and Solicitor General to prosecute the Ku Klux Klan. And in doing so, he crushed them.
1: Yeah, they disappeared for a while. Yes,
0: and that was because of him. So why does he remind me of Isaiah Thomas? Well, Isaiah Thomas was one of the greatest point guards of all time. He played in an era with Jordan, Bird, and Magic, and was still able to cement his legacy with two titles. He did it without a top 50 teammate. Jordan had Pippen, Bird had Parrish and McHale, and Magic had Kareem and Worthy. And the guy literally scored 25 points in a quarter in game six on one leg because his other leg had a severely sprained ankle. He had pizzazz and flair. He was a 12-time All-Star. He was only 6'1", but his ability to handle the ball paved the way for a lot of guards to model their game after him. So why is it that we don't talk about Ulysses S. Grant or Isaiah Thomas the way we talk about other legends? Well, in the case of Grant, he was slandered by a lot of Southern historians. There's a thing called the Lost Cause, which rewrit history to say that the Confederates fought not to keep slavery, but for quote-unquote states' rights. They called him a drunkard, even though he wasn't a drunkard, he just suffered from alcoholism. But the Civil War was the bloodiest war in American history. So by its nature, whether it was Grant or Lee, both sides saw massive casualties. And the biggest thing is Southern historians romanticized Robert E. Lee and treated Grant as a clumsy general. Robert E. Lee is seen as this great military mind and Grant just happened to win victories. But in reality, Grant captured three different Confederate armies and Lee captured none. And time and time again, Grant outsmarted Lee. So what about Isaiah Thomas? Well, As part of the Bad Boy Pistons, he was hated. Members of the Dream Team colluded against him so he wouldn't be part of the team. For those of you who saw the Last Dance documentary about Jordan, they highlighted how much Jordan and the other Bulls, and really fans and and players in the league, all really hated the Bad Boy Pistons. And that hatred and his association with that team trickled throughout the league and the fans. So both Grant and Thomas have this hatred associated to them that really is unfair. And people forget the contributions that they made to their respective games because of that hatred. That's actually, it's a
1: funny comparison, but it's a really good comparison if you logically extend it. So basically with your comparison, Jordan is the lost cause and the (laughs) other Dream Team guys are the daughters of the Confederacy. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. Love it. Stamped. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) It's a great comparison.
0: (laughs) Eric, real quick, you want to just quickly explain who the Daughters of the Confederacy are? So the Daughters of the
1: Confederacy
0: were an advocacy group, if I'm using
1: advocacy group in the most nefarious terms. Really what they were were propagandists who were hell-bent on taking Southern historians revisionist history about the Civil War and trying to how would I put this perpetuate its logic and lie and and lie and telling of history throughout America. So I mean I live in DC downtown DC has a couple of monuments of prominent Confederate officers and all of these monuments and let me add the capital of the nation that fought this Rebellious group, the Confederacy, in the capital of the Union, we have to this day a couple of prominent Confederate officers because of the daughters of the Confederacy gifting them in the early 1900s. So they were nothing more than a a propaganda group that was hell bent on making sure that revisionist history became normative history throughout America.
0: You hit the nail right on the head. It's 100% true. The grand that
1: comparison I think was great and I think it was great to compare him to Isaiah. It's wild that Isaiah as the first little guy to lead a team and they were a championship team. It's wild that as far as his historical legacy, he doesn't immediately come up in people's top 25, which is crazy to think of because if we were around in 1990, I don't think this really would have been a question. When we, If we were around in 1870, I don't think it would have really been a question about Grant. I think it would have been really obvious this is where his place in history is. Definitely considering he was the prevailing general.
0: He single-handedly saved the Union.
1: Facts. That was a dope comparison.
0: All right, guys. I think that's a perfect place to stop today. Thank you all so much for joining. We hope you enjoyed and were able to learn even just a little bit about NBA history, maybe a little bit of U.S. history in there, too. Be sure to like, rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to tune in for the next episode of Ball Might Lie. Take care, guys.